Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Crisp, the podcast. Uh, I'm Matthew Farumby and I'm here with my dad. Sunday Farumby. Yeah, and uh, do you want to start it off here with... Uh... Yeah, is this, uh, <laughs> this craze about quiet? And actually, it's been going on for, I think, a couple of years now. I uh, think I first heard about it last year, I think. Yeah, I think Early it was in the middle of... Uh, or maybe late 2021. Yeah, I think in the middle of COVID in 2021, that was when we started hearing about quiet quitting. Mm-hmm. Quiet quitting when, uh, well, that's a term they use for when people, employees in the workplace, they are doing the BRS minimum that they need to do. Just doing enough to basically stay employed without... Yeah. Yeah, not not doing anything extra, not going above and beyond. You know, they they are saying they want to reject the 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 hustle culture or something like that. So that was when I think that's quiet quitting was the first one. Mm-hmm. And then as that went on, we started hearing about uh, quiet firing, <laughs> quiet firing, which is coming from now from the employers, from the managers. Right. So this is managers. Who are not you know, doing what they are supposed to do, not taking the time uh, to provide adequate support, uh, like uh, coaching and career development for, mm-hmm. for their people. So they are not doing that. Uh, and the thinking is that if they don't do that well, uh, the employees will get the message and just resign I and guess. quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, something like that, which is, uh, which is, which is kind of strange. Have you seen something like that? Um, I've heard mainly of the the quiet quitting side. The quiet firing is more recent that I've uh, I've heard of that. But yeah, I mean, I've always heard of the even before the term quiet quitting mm-hmm. um, was was kind of coined within the last couple of years. I heard of those people who just just do enough just to yeah just just to get by, not to to mm-hmm. stay employed, um, yeah. and not. Stay out of the way and then just yeah. get enough to get their paycheck and that's yeah, about actually, it. Yeah, actually, that's not, like you said, it's, none of this is new, actually. Right, yeah. None of this is new, but we're just, we're coming up uh, maybe with the, with the advent of, this, of social media and over the last decade or so, uh, we're able to share all these things very, very quickly and people are coming up with terms mm-hmm. uh, for them. So we're hearing quiet quitting, uh, quiet uh, firing. Then I had another one. Uh, the other day called uh, quiet hiring. <clears throat> quiet hiring. This is also now tilting more to the employee side. And this is also not new. Maybe the term is new. This is when people actually, this is the opposite of quiet quitting. Hmm. So this is actually people taking on more responsibilities. The employee is saying, I want more. I want something that's a little bit different from what I'm doing right now. So they are taking on more responsibility. They are kind of uh, uh, diversifying their roles so that they can develop skills. Hmm. And th- their goal is to be able to diver- develop professional skills so that they can grow their, grow their careers. And I think mm-hmm. this also is not new. It's, it's been around uh, for a while. And I'm even hearing that quite hiring, and I don't know if this is true, I had from somewhere on LinkedIn that quiet hiring is being predicted to be the biggest workplace trend this year, which is kind of funny. Huh? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've heard of that term quiet hiring, but I, I don't know if I like that term because it makes it <laughs> seem synonymous with the quiet quitting and then quiet firing. So yeah. 
it's uh, it's interesting but like we said earlier none of this is actually is, is actually new mm-hmm. but one one of the quiet that i just had that is new quick quitting um this is when employees quit within a f- few weeks or to a couple of months of being hired mm-hmm. so they they get a new job and within a couple of months they just they just leave mm-hmm. because they don't like they don't like the job actually i think this one this one is dangerous, kind of. This one is not, I don't think it's actually completely new, but I think it's dangerous because from my experience and maybe experience of a few people also, if you are coming from a place, from a job that you really love, mm-hmm. if you love a job, you, you like it, but maybe an opportunity presents itself, you realize, okay, this is a bigger opportunity and you go there. More often than not, you may not be happy the first couple of months mm-hmm. in that new job because the tendency is to be comparing that new place to the great place you are coming from or that mm-hmm. the place that you like. So if you look at it that way and you come in and within a few weeks or a couple of months, you are thinking, I don't know if I like it here mm-hmm. and you quit, you may not actually give that new job an opportunity because anything new as human beings, Anything new, maybe the job may not be new. Maybe you have already experience in that job situation, mm-hmm. but but the culture of the envi- of the or the workplace is new. The organization is new. You are you are dealing with new people. Mm-hmm. So all of those are changes, and human beings generally we don't like change. Mm-hmm. We like to resist change. So this this quick quitting thing is the one that uh, it kind of concerns me because somebody may actually leave a, a very good career behind before they are able to actually settle down into it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree in the sense of giving it time to settle in uh, in that role before you decide that maybe I don't like this. Yeah. Um, I think it usually, yeah, it usually takes more than a couple months before you can make that decision for the most part. But in, in the sense of culture, I think sometimes pretty quickly, if it's a toxic workplace, you can realize that pretty quickly. Yes. So that if is you true. that is true, if you get in and maybe the role isn't exactly what you felt like it should have been, or you mm-hmm. realize that that um, culture is not something you want to be a part mm-hmm. of, then um, there's definitely definitely there's definitely different scenarios in in which um, I think quitting might be the smarter move for yourself. Yeah, um, that is that is true. So. That is true, and why that that is that's that's very very possible but even what i found out is that even in toxic workplaces Mm -hmm. most of the time you don't know it's toxic the first couple of months because there is that uh how do we call it the honeymoon phase because you come in you come in they treat you like you know you are the best thing that happened to them Mm. you know kind of a thing the uh all of that good feeling usually comes in in the first you know, couple mm. of months so that that's what i'm thinking that if the sub that support is not there and you know the place is not definitely for you you are able to quickly realize that it's a toxic place no definitely yes you mm-hmm. really quick want to quickly get out of there but in most instances in most cases even toxic workplaces they will they will dress it up nice for you because <laughs> you are new yeah you are new and they want to they want to welcome you but um 
I heard about this company, Zappos. I think what they do shoes, something about shoes. Yeah, I think they're they're a real to retail company. So I think it's shoes and another like clothing. Yeah, um, I actually hear that Zappos actually, as part of the onboarding, I don't know if this is true or not, but as you come in, they let you know that there's an incentive for you to quit within the first couple of months. Hmm. They watch. They actually pay people. They say if you quit within the first couple of months, they give you $2,000 or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, I had that. And I, I understand that they are trying to do that in order to maintain a very happy and productive uh, work. Making sure that the people who are there actually want to be there. They want, yeah. they want to be there. Mm-hmm. They want to be there. And um, before I actually saw this, somebody told me, I was in a meeting last week, somebody was sharing this with me, and the person said, they have... And I don't know if this is true or not. This is what somebody told me mm-hmm. that this company, Zappos, has one of the lowest turnover uh, ratio. That means their their employees don't don't leave hmm. because they they create. They said they tend to create a great workplace anyway because of the kind of people. Yeah. So if somebody comes in and they realize this is not the place for me, they don't want them to stay long and be disgruntled. They want to give them the incentive and pay them to leave and find something else. Okay. So that's uh, that's kind of interesting to to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've spent some time on that. Should we get into our main theme for to, for this episode? Yeah, let's let's yeah. do it. Might as well. Well, we're talking about quitting, right? And um, last week, I think it was last Thursday, the uh, the prime minister of New Zealand suddenly quit. Mm-hmm. He just he just quit and the first thing you think about is okay why did she quit uh is it because of a scandal did she make a mistake or something like that and there was not anything like that uh first of all this person uh the new zealand uh, prime minister uh jacinda arden uh she's been in the office since uh october of 2017 so about five plus years about almost five and a half years Mm -hmm. now uh, she was the prime minister when COVID hit, and she was responsible for making sure that New Zealand had one of the lowest COVID rates uh, in the world. They shut down the country very, very quickly, but I understand some people are not happy <laughs> happy with that. But she won re-election. She actually won re-election in 2020, hmm. probably in the middle of COVID when they were shut down, Yeah, uh, because I think it's three years. Uh, she won re-election in 2020, She's supposed to be expected to run for a re-election again this year. Mm-hmm. But less than a week ago, about four or five days ago, she just came out and said, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing... She's not even waiting for her time to end, maybe towards the end of this year. She said, I'm, I'm quitting right now. One thing that is very interesting about this, she's a, uh, she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, also... When she became prime minister in 2017, she, she was the youngest ever head of state mm-hmm. of any country. She was 37, I believe. Yeah, she was 37 at the time when, when, she, when she came in, mm-hmm. the youngest uh, prime minister. So people were asking, why, why, what was the reason? Why, why is it? And I found uh, some of the things that she said, and this is a direct quote, she said, I'm leaving because with such a privileged role comes responsibility. The responsibility to know 
when you are the right person to lead and also when you are not. I know what this job takes and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It's that simple. Hmm. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it just, at the basis, just takes a lot of self-awareness to, to realize, um, hey, this is, I've done this and probably done it well for a while, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I'm I'm kind of done and I'm going to realize that and take a step back um, and let someone else who could be, I guess, in a sense, doing it better or is more suited for that role. I definitely agree. I agree. It takes a lot of self-awareness. It takes a lot of humility uh, to be able to do that because it's rare. Mm-hmm. It's rare when you hear uh, heads of state, head of government step down. Usually it's because of a scandal. Yeah. Yeah. Especially within politics. I think yeah, exactly. even within like companies and stuff, it, it's big. But yeah, exactly. I think politics specifically is where people want to hold on to that role as yeah. long as possible, even mm-hmm. if they're not suitable or even if they're not doing <laughs> the oh, role yeah. well at all. So, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's the thing. In, in politics, people want, tend to hold on to power. And we have a lot of examples uh, in history about people holding on to uh, to power. Uh, through the past few decades, we've heard of African dictators, hmm. for example, yeah. who, throughout history, they, they try to, to hold on to, to, to power. I'll give you an example. Robert Mugabe, the, the president of, um, of Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. he came, he was elected in 1980. As the um, as the prime minister, just after the country's independence, immediately he came in. He began to consolidate power because he knew he didn't want to let it go. And there were reports that he actually used a North Korean trained security force to be able to to deal with any kind of dissident in the in the country. Hmm. Since then, every election cycle, uh, he continues to win. He will win, and <laughs> a lot of people believe that he was only winning because there were always widespread corruption and fraud during the election. So yeah. he was rigging the election. More than 42 years. It, it's, it's strange. You know, just like you said, in politics, uh, people tend to hold on to power. Mm. They, don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't want to leave. If we bring it closer, well, we're talking about Robert Mugabe, which is half a world away and started in 1980. How about recently? Hmm. If we bring it closer to home here in the United States, no, we we just had a president who refused to concede an election uh, that he lost, and he will, he will rather burn the country down <laughs> rather than concede and, and leave quietly. One of the things that I I was I'm actually thankful for is that it looks like uh, the electoral system and the system of government in the United States. Um, with the checks and balances, did not allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Because I can tell you, if this was maybe, and I'm not, this is not casting aspersion on African countries. I think <laughs> if this was in an African country, he easily would have just stayed in power. Right. Yeah. He would have stayed in power. I saw one of those. One of one, one of those uh, just before. Um, a few years just before we, we came here, before we left Nigeria and came here, this was 1993, and we had an election, and the military dictator who was president then 
annul the election. <laughs> annul the election. Wow. And the the thinking, what we thought was he felt the, the guy he wanted to win the election did not win. Somebody else was winning. Mm-hmm. But it's also much, it's much more likely that he actually never intended to leave. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter who won. So he stayed. I think he stayed was president for uh, for about eight years. Eventually, he put one of his right hand man there. He stepped aside and put one of the right man right hand man there. But there was what a lot of people believe was divine intervention. <laughs> that person just dropped dead one day. Wow. And then the person that did not want the job at all was the next in line. It was the one that was kind of pushed in there. So quickly, within six months to a year, that person uh, made sure there was election transition to a democratically elected government. And uh, it's been like that since. I think there have been exchange, you know, transition of power since. So you see, you see that. Uh, there's another one that comes to mind much more recently. This I don't know if you heard of that in Brazil. Mm-hmm. You hear the the protest and the riots in Brazil just uh, a couple of weeks a ago. A little bit. I'm not yeah. sure if I'm super familiar with well, it. Well, it was actually similar. And I actually, I, I think those people actually took their playbook uh, or took their play out of the playbook of the January 6th insurrection here. <laughs> because I, I actually had people who said that if the insurrection has not happened in the United States, they do not believe this will have happened in Brazil. Huh. Because last year there was an election, last November, last November there was an election in Brazil. The incumbent president lost the election. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I think about a couple of weeks ago, early this month, when the new government was sworn into power, the supporters of the old president started rioting and went to ransack the Congress in Brazil, hmm. the presidential palace. Uh, the Supreme Court. They just went around and it looks like they are trying to do the same thing that that happened here right. on January 6, uh, hmm. January 6, 2021, I believe, about two years ago. Right. So so we, we see instances of leaders around the world who are trying to consolidate power, who are trying to hold on to power. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, when people do not, do not want them. But let, let's let's bring it home a little bit to, apart from politicians to, to leaders. So in the workplace, what, mm. what do you think? When in the workplace, what are the potential symptoms when you have a manager mm-hmm. who want to stay? I don't know if you've seen something like that. Who want to stay in their position? <laughs> who just want to stay there and they don't want, uh, they don't want anybody to take their position from them? Well, how do you think that will play out? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've directly experienced that myself. Um, but as far as speculating how that would play out, I would say um, it will just be one of those things where animosity is created between parties of people above mm-hmm. and below them yeah. who are seeing what's going on in the sense that they're seeing, like, this person maybe, uh, in a sense, should either 
step down or yeah. transition to another role, but it's choosing actively not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's choosing to hold on to control, even though they're a lot of times I think for that they're not doing the best job at it, or yeah. maybe it's just their time to transition to something else. Um, so it definitely will create tension, I think, within the company and within oh, definitely. parties. Definitely, I, I, I've actually experienced this, uh, which is uh, as we're talking about that. I just remember that I've experienced my my last job, and I will, I will not name the company. <laughs> <laughs> my last job in in Nigeria before we came over here almost twenty five years ago, uh, my boss. My boss was that kind of a person. Hmm. He was the leader of the, uh, well, kind of the leader of all the electrical engineers in the company. And, and the structure is kind of different. You know, this was an organization with the headquarters and plant locations all around the country. Uh, there are electrical engineers in each of the plants. Each one of them report to the chief engineer in, in their plant. Mm-hmm. But they have a dotted reporting relationship to my boss in the headquarters because he is the head of all the electrical engineering function. Okay. And we, I was in the headquarters. So those uh, electrical engineers in the plant who are my peers, um, they have a dotted relationship uh, with him. So if they need help, you know, we go to the plant to help them from the headquarters. Right. And we also execute projects. But what I found out was that uh, my manager, he thought, I mean, incorrectly, of course, he thought the position he was in was the highest he could ever go. Hmm. So because of that, he wanted to hold on to it uh, for a long time. That was, I want to say mine, just not me. Those of us who worked with him, who worked under him, that was what we sensed was going on with him. Hmm. Because I saw it, and some of my colleagues, the three of us that, that were reporting to him at the time, we saw it also. And here's what we concluded. He rose through the ranks. In, in this company, engineers are usually college graduates. You have to have an engineering degree. Mm-hmm. He did not have an engineering degree. Hmm. So he, had, uh, he, he went to technical school, so he was actually hired as an electrician. Uh, he worked in the plant. He knows most of the plants very well. So he's been actually in the company for like more than, at that time, about 25 years. Hmm. So he has stayed long, spent a long time in the junior ranks. And eventually, maybe because of there's a need, they, they made him, uh, they promoted him to the management level. And there's a kind of, in that company, there's a distinction between the, uh, the junior staff and the management level. Okay. I graduate, if you have a college degree, you are on the management level. Engineers come in as assistant managers and then go on to, to full managers. And most times, people in the junior staff, the electricians, they have their own cater and their own levels of, um, of promotion. In most instances, it's rare. It happens, but it's rare that somebody makes the jump from that level to the management level. He was one of the few people who was able to do that. Okay. So he was able to do that because of his long years of experience. He was able to do that. So he became an assistant manager and then later a full manager, which at that time I was an assistant manager. I was reporting to him. So what we felt, all of us who were working with him, 
all the engineers in the plant, all the electrical engineers in the plant, we all have college degrees. Mm -hmm. He did not. Hmm. So I think he already concluded that there was no way he was moving higher because the next position for him was to be the, the head of the entire engineering function, not just the electrical engineering part. Mm -hmm. And maybe he felt it was not going to happen uh, for him. So he wanted to stay um, as long as possible. So what he did was to keep us down. Hmm. He was doing, what was that thing we talked about in the, when we were talking about quiet uh, quitting? Um, quiet firing. Yeah. The quiet firing when, when I said <laughs> the manager refuses to develop and support and coach. Hmm. That's exactly what he was doing. Hmm. Uh, he, he did not want us to have any opportunity uh, to rise. He didn't want us to rise above him mm -hmm. because if we rise more enough, his thinking is that we are going to take his position and he didn't believe that he was going to go. There's no other place for him to go. Hmm. So he did not want us to even get close uh, to uh, to his position. Yeah, and when, when I hear that, just a quick side note, I, I feel mm. like there's almost two responses when uh, a situation like that happen. Like you mm. said, he could have um, realize that he has made it this far and then um, all he needed to do was, in a sense, I guess, work hard to achieve whatever um, higher level he, he could have been, to. college degree or not, he made it to this level. Yeah. Um, or um, I think uh, how he responded was where insecurity kicks in. It's like, well, this yes. is the ceiling for me, so I'm going to make <laughs> sure everyone else doesn't get to my level. Exactly. And that was what, was what he tried to do. Here's the funny thing. Here's a funny thing because after we came here, you know, the company I was working for here actually had sent me back there to do work for them a few times. He eventually got to that higher level. Hmm. One of the times I went back, he was the head of the entire engineering function. Hmm. One of the times, maybe about maybe six or eight years later when I went back, uh, he, was already, he was already there. And that position he was in when he was my manager, he was there for like 10 years or more. Which is unusually long. Yeah. Maybe that was so why. So in a sense, he probably maybe just limited himself um, from moving up. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's one of the things that, you know, either managers in organization can do either consciously or unconsciously. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, I don't know because we never asked this my former boss if he was doing intentionally or not. But at least those of us who were who were working with him, we saw that that was. That was mm. what he was trying to do. I don't know whether he knew he was doing it consciously or it was mm. an unconscious behavior for him to right. do. So those are the kind of things that when you look at um, consequences of that, it demotivates people. It demotivates mm. the people under you. You lose your best people. I know a couple of people who left, who left because, because of that. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I probably would definitely would have left if we did not leave, if I didn't leave that job and move over to the United States. Uh, but I know a couple of my colleagues uh, who, who left. And also, trust. Yeah. It erodes trust. I did not trust him. Hmm. I, I did not trust him. Uh, to the extent that, and this may be a story for another day, when we were coming here, when I left the company, I was coming here, I didn't tell him. Hmm. This was my direct boss. The funny thing is that his boss, who was the head of engineering function at the time, knew. 
I told that that person knew that I was actually leaving the company, but I did not tell my direct boss because I didn't trust him. So the, the thing is, um, for people in leadership, what we do, what we do, what we say has consequences for, right. for the people that we are leading, for, for, for our, our followers. And that's one of the reasons why I love the simplicity and the humility of, of Jacinda Ardern, the, well, I think he's probably now the, the former prime minister of New Zealand because I think mm -hmm. they already identified somebody else uh, in his party to take over. So I think he said he will step down immediately they find somebody else who will take the job, and I think they already did that. So uh, she's, uh, she's worried about doing a good job. She's worried about good governance, about leading well, Mm -hmm. instead of thinking of the next election, instead of trying to consolidate her position. And one of the things I've seen here, I'm not a politician, so I don't know much about what goes on in politics, mm -hmm. but here in the United States, it seems our politicians, you know, Congress people, uh, the U.S. Senate, uh, even governors and the state legisl legislature, it looks like the moment they are elected in, Almost immediately, they begin to raise funds for their next election. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They are not... They are They're more concerned, in a sense, with, with staying in power yes. rather than doing the job. Actually serving. <laughs> yeah. Serving. Doing the, doing, it's not about public service for them. It's, it's, about, it's about staying in power. And that's, um, that's a problem. That's a problem. So I'm really hoping. I'm hoping that uh, this lady from New Zealand... The, that is, is setting a new precedent hmm. that, that other world leaders uh, could look up to and say, this is, this is the way to go. Uh, as we wrap this up, I actually have, I have a, a couple of quotes from some of the people. Let me see. There was, um, this was from Helen Clark, uh, a former prime minister of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Uh, here's what she said. She said the pressures on prime ministers are always great. But in this era of social media, clickbait, and 24-7 media cycles, Jacinda has faced a level of hatred and vitriol, which in my experience is unprecedented in our country. So she's saying that the job, the job is tough to begin with. But now mm. with social media and everything, there's so much attack. It makes it that much harder. It made it so so much yeah. so much so much harder. And this 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 uh, uh, a woman she became prime minister at 37. She had I think she had a, her first child while she was prime minister, hmm. and and she was raising a family. She was able to show that you can easily balance the you know, motherhood, family life with being a leader, leader of uh, uh, of a you no know, of a great country like uh, like New Zealand. So. Mm -hmm. Leaders around the globe, that's why I say I hope leaders around the globe are watching. A lot of them are actually, I think they were surprised by the speech she gave when mm -hmm. she said, I, I don't have enough in the tank anymore for, for this job. Uh, and somebody, I think, uh, that's another one, a former prime minister of Australia said, Jacinda rewrote the rule book for how world leaders are supposed to look and act and further endear the citizens of the world to New Zealand because of it. Hmm. And it's true. Because of what she did, 
no, I, I'm sure there are a lot of positive vibes and positive, uh, you know, thinking towards New Zealand. That if somebody, uh, that that's a great leader. Hmm. For yeah. me, that's a quality leader. Somebody who puts the the welfare of her country above of above personal ambitions or whatever, uh, whatever it will be. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that, um, like you said, creates a precedent for future future political leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I'm I'm not very optimistic, at least for <laughs> for yeah. the U.S. Um, but yeah, any uh, any in closing, anything else we want to bring up? Well, it's just that I think we should all aspire to be the kind of leader that uh, Jacinda Ardern is. Uh, we leaders are supposed to to lead for the good of who they are leading, the team they are leading. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's a small team, it's an organization, it's a functional head or, or a country, like in her case. We're supposed to live for the good of the people that we are leading, not for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And for me, in my book, that is the characteristic of a good leader, of a great leader, a leader that is worth following. Okay. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been another episode of Crisp, the podcast. Um, As always, you can find us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure to give us a like, follow us on Instagram, uh, review the podcast, and we will see you later.